Bishop Sheen has been called the greatest communicator of our time. One theme ran throughout his hundreds of messages. Life is worth living. Millions tuned in to learn from this remarkable man. He received the highest honor in television, the Emmy Award, made the covers of Time, Life, and Look. He never lost sight of his goal. Life is worth living. Presenting the wit and wisdom of Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pride in presenting at this time His Excellency Bishop Fulton J. Sheen in Life is Worth Living a program devoted to the everyday problems of all of us. The entire amount received for this program is applied to the benefit of the sick and needy of every race, religion, color, and creed throughout the world. Bishop Sheen directs the activities of the World Mission Aid Society in the United States from its national headquarters at 366 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Ladies and gentlemen, Bishop Sheen. In tribute to the many comedians of this country who has made us laugh, we will try to analyze tonight the philosophy of laughter. In other words, why do we laugh? Have you ever noticed that there's no such thing as laughter in the animal kingdom or in anything below man? For example, valleys never began to smile and mountains rock with laughter. A pony never began to titter and then a horse gave a horse laugh. You just simply never meet laughter until you come to man. Man is the only joker in the deck of nature. And we say that man breaks out into a laugh, and he really does, because he breaks completely and totally with all nature. Now, why does he laugh? Why would we give three reasons among many? First reason why man can laugh is because he can see meanings in words. Now that makes it necessary to define laughter. Now this is not going to be a funny definition. Laughter is the unexpected juxtaposition of two ideas. See, that's not funny, but that's what laughter is. It must be unexpected. That's why you begin stories, have you heard this one? Or if you have, don't say anything because I like to tell it. But laughter must always Get meaning. Now you take, for example, any kind of pun. A pun must always involve a common meaning and then an unexpected meaning. Now let us take any pun at all. Take, for example, the story of the, of the visitor who came in to visit this particular house and uh, the lady said to the six-year-old girl, what are you going to do when you get as big as your mother? And the little girl said, diet. <laughs> Now, it would have been terrible if you didn't laugh at that because I would have to find another one. And the one, the one that I had in the back of my head was that a blonde dies by her own hand. 
But... All right. You like the second one better. We'll use that. Now then, here, a blonde dies by her own hand. Now, there has to be, you see, a double meaning here. A horse, a canary, a cat could hear that story. They wouldn't think it funny. You think it funny, what? Well, simply because you are able to get meaning out of it. There are two meanings there. There's the common acceptance of coloration. And then there's the other acceptance of death. Now, when, if a box is filled with salt, it cannot be filled with pepper. And if the mind were purely material and just filled with that idea, it could not possess this. It's only a spiritual substance that can ever hold the two together. Man alone as a soul, man alone as an intellect, man alone is able to grasp meaning, therefore man alone can laugh. I know I chose puns. A great deal of fun made of puns said to be the lowest form of humor. Why is it said to be the lowest form of humor? Because it changes the subject. Your mind is going in one direction, suddenly it goes off in another. The best answer to those who say that pun is the lowest form of humor was the one that Oscar Levant gave. The lowest form of humor only to the person who didn't think of it first. <laughs> and then we must not forget that the greatest pun that was ever used in the history of the world was used by the Son of God himself. He saw a man fishing one day. His name was Simon. He changed his name. He changed his name to Rock. And then a year and a half later, he met him and our blessed Lord asked who he was. And this man who was called Rock answered, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And our Lord answered, Blessed art thou. Simon Bariona, that was his old name. Thou art the rock upon which I will build my church. It was a pun on his name. And if the Lord uses puns, we can get along with them too. Now a second reason why we laugh is because we are capable of entering into ourselves, seeing ourselves as we really are, looking at ourselves in a kind of mirror. We can be pleased with ourselves, we can be angry with ourselves. If we were material, we could not do that. Because a material thing cannot bend back upon itself. Now, for example, here's a piece of paper. Oh yes, incidentally, this came from Houston, Texas. Remember, I said last week, has anybody got a land and button? By Jove, they got me a land and button, there it is. <laughs> You know, I think I'll give this as a prize now. I will give this as a prize at the next election to any candidate for the Senate of the United States who will give a half-hour talk on television without notes or reading from a teleprompter. First prize. Well, here's a piece of paper. Now, this piece of paper can be bent, but one side of it can never possess the other side because it's material. And so, 
If we were purely material, we would never be able to look at ourselves and see ourselves as we really are. But because we're, we have a soul and are spiritual, we are able to introspect. If we have humility enough, we can laugh at ourselves. And because we know our own condition, we can also project and find similar conditions and situations and foibles and weaknesses in other people. But most of us are not humble enough to enjoy that kind of humor. For example, if a cartoonist went into a room where there were 20 people and drew a caricature of the 20 people, every single person would think the caricature of someone else was really wonderful. That's just exactly like him. But that doesn't look like me. Few have the humility of uh, Socrates. Aristophanes had written a play called The Clouds. And Socrates was indeed a, a great old philosopher. Oh, incidentally, he said, marry. He said, because if you marry a good wife, he said, you'll be very happy. If you marry and uh, she's an old shrew, you'll become a philosopher. Well, he became a great philosopher. <laughs> So he went to this play of Aristophanes called The Clouds. And the clouds satirized this great Athenian philosopher, Socrates. Socrates goes into the theater. When the curtain goes up, Socrates stands up, turns toward the audience so everybody can see how ridiculous he really is. Now, not many have that kind of humility. But at any rate, Socrates looked inside of himself. Then there's such a thing, for example, as, as the mimics. In order to mimic anybody, one has to be able to, to get on the inside of him, to even feel his gestures, to imitate the sound of his voice, and in a certain sense, almost have something of his heart and soul. I think Ed Sullivan should be praised for having a mimic on his program one night who imitated him. It was one of the most marvelous imitations I ever saw in my life. I remember once I was giving a retreat, a priest retreat in Canada. And they told me that there was a priest and who was making the retreat who was quite a mimic. Well, we had a half hour recreation every day when we could talk during this retreat. And so I suggested that this priest give a, an imitation to me. He did. <laughs> it was terrific. In those days, I must have begun every single sentence with and so, because as he gave an imitation of me, every sentence began with and so. And I asked if he could imitate anybody else. And then they told me a story about him. And the story was that he could imitate the bishop very well. Too well. <laughs> One night, he called up two professors of the seminary who were very anxious to go to Oxford in order to do further studies in Latin. He called them up at 11 o'clock at night and pretended he was the bishop and gave them an hour's examination in Latin over the telephone. <laughs> but I think the worst of all was way off in the outposts of this diocese in Canada, this priest was having 40 hours devotion. And this priest imitated the bishop and said, nobody 
ever gets out to your 40 hours. So I want to have a big crowd tonight on the altar. And he said, I want you to have the 20 priests who are within an area of 30 miles of you to come to the 40 hours. You call them up. I will be out there, but I want to meet all of the priests 10 miles from the church. Each of them must have on a silk hat. There was only one silk hat in an area of 100 square miles. Priests wondered why the bishop wanted them to have on silk hats. They all gathered 10 miles from the place, and of course the bishop didn't appear. The priest was changed later on. <laughs> Well, introspection, therefore, requires a great deal of humility, and I say that almost only the saints have that. But do you notice today that there's very little mimicry and very little satire in the theater? Because if this is the only world there is, we've got to take it very seriously. It used to be 20 and 30 years ago, we used to laugh at dialect stories of Germans and Irish and Jews and so forth. Now can't tell them anymore. This is serious business. Tell a story about an Irishman and you get 20 or 30 letters. <laughs> they used to pat you on the back. And the same goes for all the others too, let me tell you. But we're losing something, probably because we've lost the sense of introspection. And then finally, there's another reason for laughing, for laughing. And that has to do with the fact that we have a body just as well as the soul. See, we are citizens of two worlds. We have matter in us, and we also have spirit, something of time, something of eternity. We live in a world of fact, sheer fact. We live in a world of value. In order to produce laughter, there's sometimes there must be contrast between the two, there must be incongruities pointed out. There may be exaggerations. Or there may be a de degeneration of one value in relationship to another. If there were only matter in the world, nobody would ever laugh. Carbon never laughs. If this world were entirely ridiculous, nothing would be ridiculous. The only reason anything is funny is because it's in relationship to something else that's not funny. For example, you're walking along the street. There's a, a dead animal on the curb, cat. And you just simply observe a matter of fact that the cat stinks. Well, now suppose. You're not supposed to laugh at that. That doesn't prove my point at all. <laughs> I gotta pull this out somehow or other. All right. All right, suppose that immediately after you saw that dead cat, that you met a man whose name was Mr. Stinker. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Well, now why? Here's simply because here there is actually some kind of degeneration or decline of values. And that holds for any value, whatever it be, intellectual, moral, spiritual, religious, political. Take, for example, a decay of some intellectual value. 
Think of how many stories are provided for the fact that a boy comes home from school, he's in the third grade. He's got an arithmetic, arithmetic problem. He gives it to his father, his father can't work the problem. The boy loves that. Why? Because the father's dignity has been pulled down. Is there anything funny to a, to a child than to see his father stumble over a rug? <laughs> now, if there were not dignity, there would not be any humor or laughter. And then, not only for the, for the intellectual, but take, for example, the moral. You see a man walking the street, a very dignified man. He may have on a silk hat. And he suddenly slips on the ice and both feet go out from under him. Now why, why is that funny? You see a tree fall, you never laugh. See a chimney fall, you never laugh. See a dish fall, you don't laugh. But you see a man with a silk hat on fall, you do laugh. Maybe it has some relationship to the great theological doctrine of original sin and the fall of man. But I believe that it... <laughs> I believe, however, that there is a kind of a moral judgment. We're saying that anybody that's so proud really ought to be humbled. Ha, 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 he fell. <laughs> then there is... There is laughter afforded in the in the social order. Think of how many, how many jokes there are about marriage. Well, it's because there's contrast between the seriousness of marriage and a certain amount of lightness. I heard of, uh, oh no, I'm not going to tell that one. <laughs> Samuel Butler once said, of a certain woman. He said, she never was made to be a mother, but she was made to be a mother-in-law. <laughs> and then, there's also all kinds of stories that are told, for example, about social climbers. Oh, I should say something, too, about marriages and mother-in-laws. Here is one. Did you know, I think there's too much too many jokes told about mother-in-laws, and in defense of mother-in-laws, this should be said. That St. Peter, who was called the Rock, St. Peter always remained on the most intimate and cordial terms with our divine Lord, despite the fact that our blessed Lord healed his mother-in-law. Then, there are the incongruities of the social order. For example, Bob Burns used to tell the story about a knot of his down in Arkansas. She always tried to crash the society of this little town in Arkansas, was never able to do it. Finally, she succeeded in inviting all the great ladies to tea. Her husband was not very social, so she sent him upstairs and she said, don't you dare come down while any of these women are in this house. Don't you dare. And she served tea to the ladies. Everything was getting along fine. But after an hour, there was a voice heard from upstairs shouting down. And the voice said, Ma, 
There are only clean towels in the bathroom. Is it all right to start one? Then there was the, the story also of this poor henpecked husband. His wife always insisted on buying his clothes. <laughs> so this time when they went into the clothier, he tried on one suit after another. She picked them out. He didn't like them. And finally, she became exasperated. And she said to him, all right, all right, take whatever you want. You've got to wear it anyway. Well, he said, dear, at least the coat and vest. Well, the point we're making is that it takes a world of fact as well as a world of value to make anything, anything humorous. That is one of the reasons why there can be so much humor associated with very serious subjects. The more serious the thing is, sometimes the more light it can be. There's nothing funny, for example, about a dog running down a street, but a dog in the middle aisle of the church is about one of the funniest things that you could ever look at in the world. And then the remarks of children in church are always very funny. Now, I won't tell that one either. <laughs> For example, you often see men walking the street with their hats on the side of their heads. Nothing funny about that. But suppose you saw me coming down the middle aisle of a church like this. <laughs> You see, you've got to have the contrast, don't you, of the spiritual and the material. There therefore can laugh, be laughter when there's a decline in some way of values, such as here the decline of the, of the spiritual and the contrast with something that is less spiritual. If one ever carries the decline of values and of the spiritual a little too far, then there's no longer laughter. Then there's villainy. That was why Aristotle said that laughter must never go to the point of giving pain. Certain people do things when they're well that are very funny. And they do things when they are sick and one dare not laugh at them. That would, because why, the sick are very close to the destruction of all values, or the greatest of all value, which is life. And therefore, they're not to be laughed at. I don't know whether there's anything amusing in this, but it always strikes me as funny. Do you know that I think that one of the funniest things in the world is to see Molotov of the United Nations. Here's a man who has participated in the seizure of northern Vietnam, of Korea, 
who has enthralled and put in slavery 37 out of every 100 people in the world, I think it's extremely funny to see this arch-revolutionist wearing pince-nez glasses. <laughs> Somehow or other, the two just simply never go together. It, to me, it's just as funny as Rocky Marciano going to a ring with evening clothes. <laughs> well, see, behind it all is the fact of play. Laughter is play, and particularly the kind of laughter that has no purpose. Something that's just very amusing. Funny things, nonsensical sayings like, what did the moths eat before Adam and Eve wore clothes? <laughs> Makes no sense. It's something like the play of children. Here they are hitting tin cans with sticks. Thing also like the play that there is of an adult on Sunday afternoon just watching the clouds float by. Something of the play that there isn't Bach in the fugues of Bach and Mozart. One almost feels that they could go on to it forever. There's a joy in contemplation. And that is why I think our blessed Lord said that we had to become like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like children in order that we might enjoy play. And therefore, laughter. Look for me in the nurseries of heaven. Life is Worth Living is a production of the World Mission Aid Society, directed in the United States by Bishop Fulton J. Sheen from National Headquarters, 366 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Thank you.